and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. Joining me on this special free agency edition day one podcast is uh, Joseph Gasharo. What's going on? Joe Wolfon. What up? Happy Canada Day. Happy Canada Day to everyone out there. Um, hopefully you guys all caught up on sleep because, you know, true NBA fans were probably up until 2 a.m. staring at the phone, waiting for the score alerts to see who was going to be signed. And, uh, you know, honestly, I personally anticipated that it was going to be a little bit of a um, slow roll in terms of what happened on July 1 because everyone's waiting for LeBron. LeBron has still not made his choice. We're still doing that plane tracking thing for LeBron, which is mostly creepy and not useful at all. Um but nope, the NBA was not waiting. The NBA decided while LeBron does his thing, let's quickly snatch up guys like Ersan Ilyasova and Doug McDermott. Uh, and we had you know just a flurry of deals shortly after uh, free agency opened. Um, let's talk about the most significant um, decision on July 1, which was Paul George choosing to re-sign uh, on a four-year deal to stay in OKC cash. Were you surprised that he ultimately you know, picked OKC despite the fact that pretty much all reports leading up to um, his decision suggested that he wanted to stay. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Um, again, like you just mentioned, most reports were were stating that he was starting to warm to that idea of staying in OKC, but I just still couldn't picture it. You know, this is a guy that a year ago, much like Kawhi Leonard now, a year ago Paul George was, you know, said to be a, a sure thing for the Lakers in 2018. And then he goes to a small market and everyone thought the Thunder were nuts for like gambling on a guy that was going to leave them in a year. And, you know, credit Sam Presti and, and the Thunder and the culture they've set there that that culture kept Paul George. Long. And, you know, not like on a one plus one, not on like a two and an opt on a four year deal. Yeah. Like Paul George is going to be in OKC for a long time. Um, so, yeah, credit to them. One thing I did want to note, though, and you mentioned like the, the kind of flurry of activity at midnight last night despite the fact that no one really uh, has seen anything from LeBron yet, I think it might speak to the fact that as opposed to the last two times LeBron was a free agent when the league really screeched to a halt, I think maybe the activity we saw last night might be an indication that the majority of the league has a pretty good read on what they like on where LeBron's going. I feel like a lot of teams, players, even agents, must be very confident in the in what the outcome of LeBron's free agency will be for the league to have just kind of conducted business like they weren't waiting on anything. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I I mean, even just in the bigger picture, it seems like probably a lot of these guys had a pretty good idea of where they were going to end up, uh, you know, well ahead of that midnight deadline. Um, because when at 12.01, you're seeing countless deals breaking right off the bat, I think you can be reasonably assured that uh, these teams and players weren't meeting right at midnight and um, coming to an agreement within minutes of kind of, uh, you know, putting the, the, the negotiation on the table. And as far as Paul George, like, again, given all the noise leading up to that, uh, that the opening of free agency, like, um, I guess we couldn't really act shocked that he ended up going back to OKC. And like Cash has mentioned countless times on this podcast, the guy loves fishing. <laughs> uh, obviously, obviously doesn't mind playing in a small market. Um, I think what surprised me and probably what surprised a lot of people was the term. Uh, and the fact that he signed that three plus one rather than a one plus one. Um, so not giving himself the flexibility that we thought that he might have craved. And um, look, I think at the end of the day, what this speaks to and the thing that probably we forget about a lot when we're trying to prognosticate about 
uh, fit on the basketball court and what makes sense and what gives a player the best championship odds they might have is just the human element, right? And, and that's the thing you can't account for. Here's a guy who goes to a situation that wasn't on his radar a year ago when he was talking about wanting to get traded from Indiana, but he finds a situation that works for him, makes him feel comfortable. He ends up having a great relationship with Russell Westbrook and just decides that that was a guy he wanted to play with and that was a city that he wanted to make his home for the next few years and that was a place he wanted to play. And look, you know, credit to him. If that's what he wanted, that's what he should do. And, and I don't think he necessarily needs to listen to these out, outside voices who are telling him um, that it's championship or bust or that playing with LeBron or playing in LA is what's going to be best for him or his brand or his future. Um, that was a situation where he felt most comfortable and, and he felt comfortable enough to commit long-term. Um, I mean, it's a little strange that in the lead up to that, he has this ESPN special where behind the scenes, he is talking about how all he wants is to win a championship. And that's, you know, what's going to factor most into his decision. If I'm being frank, you know, barring some kind of change of heart from Kevin Durant a year from now when he re-enters free agency, uh, you know, and decides that he wants to go back to OKC, I don't really see that happening for Paul George with the Thunder. But at the same time, he can opt out after three years. He'll hit the market again at age 31, could conceivably still be in his prime then. Um, you know, this doesn't have to be the end for him. We can see how the next three years play out and you know, he could still have an opportunity to go wherever he wants at 31, which is, you know, you look around the league right now and Chris Paul is 33 and LeBron James is 33. And these guys are still basically dictating the shape of the league. So I don't think it's crazy to think three years from now, Paul George could still be one of the marquee free agents on the market. Um, that's going to have a big impact on how the NBA landscape looks. All right. Let me just speak for Lakers fans right now and say, Paul George coward coward <laughs> for not wanting that big spotlight in LA because like I, I, it's just a lot of teasing I think and I think Lakers fans like they're the probably the biggest losers after day one just because you know they had a chance to get Paul George they could have easily traded for Paul George when he was available last summer after he told everyone that he wanted to go to LA that's a perfect time to go sign him they chose not to they chose to hold their assets and if for a second it looked like it was going to be really good like they're going to use those assets instead on a Kawhi trade. Then Paul George is going to come here and LeBron's going to come here and they're going to somehow coexist and pretty much win the title. Like that, those three players together, that's, that's challenging Golden State. It doesn't really matter what, what else is around them. Um, but then he decides to stay in OKC, which is, again, really just, it's just a weird choice. It's just not that sexy of a choice. Like, you know, we, I mean, yeah, okay, Roberson wasn't healthy. But, like, if Andre Roberson's the difference between you losing in the first round to the Jazz, where you just have a complete meltdown as a player. Like, Paul George was awful in that elimination game. Meanwhile, Westbrook's shooting 43 times, and it's just a he's, like, screaming and, like, confronting fans on his way out the arena and stuff. Like, that's a bad look, and it, it just it's just weird that he chose to stay because there's not a lot of upward mobility in OKC, right? They're looking at—as of right now, before they wave Carmelo Anthony or whatever they do with Carmelo, they are— $31 million over the tax. And they're in the repeater tax. So that means they're getting taxed like three, four dollars on some of this this money. Right? And this is a team like Wolfon that you tweeted out last night that wouldn't pay eight extra dollars to keep James Harden. And like it's just such a weird change of heart because this team like the ceiling's very, very defined. Even after Jeremy Grant, which is I guess a nice um deal to keep him, like this team is not going anywhere. Yeah, I think well, a couple of things. I think one, 
they might have a higher ceiling. They probably do have a higher ceiling than what we saw from them last year. Um, I think getting Mello out of the way would help. Uh, you know, I go back to what I said last year when they first traded for PG, and it was kind of like a Russ, Mello, Adams, and maybe try to find some shooters here. I was really, really into that team. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until they went and got Mello that I kind of jumped off that bandwagon, and we kind of see, we saw what happened throughout the season. So I do think if you can find a way to get Mello out of the way... I still think there's something to be said about having two talents like Westbrook and George on one team. Like, A, you're kind of guaranteeing yourself a pretty high floor. Right, And you're still kind of banking on the fact, like, if those guys get going for two weeks at a time, they can almost beat anybody, right? Like, they are guaranteeing themselves, like, a, a certain floor and a kind of, like, fringe contention at the very worst. Um, one thing I'll add, though, too, is I think this Paul George's decision last night was phenomenal for the Spurs leverage with this Kawhi Leonard oh, yeah, situation. Yeah, for sure. Because now if you're the Lakers, you know, Magic Johnson, who, what, caught multiple tampering charges, basically assuming Paul George was in his pocket, okay? Yeah, they got to get Fails, the back. strikes out there, says that he'll resign from his position if the Lakers haven't landed big names by next summer. Well, Paul George is now off the market. LeBron, as we speak, is apparently meeting with the Sixers. Who knows what happens there? But, like... Now there's like a real pressure where you just can't assume, even though Kawhi says he's coming, that you'll get him in a year. You probably have to go, maybe not all in, but as close to it as anyone thought they'd have to go. Like there, There's real pressure on the Lakers now, and the Spurs have leverage for the first time in this Kawhi situation. Yeah, I mean, Magic could just bring back KCP and say he brought back a big name and, and stay on for as long as he wants, though, right? Like, he doesn't necessarily letters. have to operate in good faith on that front. And, you know, there's reports that they're talking to Boogie and thinking about going in on him on like a short-term max deal, which I honestly don't think is the worst idea. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like this is great news for the Spurs. And a few days ago, it really didn't seem like they had or were going to have any leverage. And then kind of by some miracle, like it fell into their lap when this report came out that LeBron, you know, he wanted to sign with the Lakers, but he wanted to be assured that there was going to be another star there. And suddenly it's incumbent on the, Laper, on the Lakers to pony up. Um, then uh, LeBron makes a decision to opt out of his contract. So that basically takes the Rockets out of the picture. Um, and then it seems like, okay, there goes the Spurs leverage again. But now Paul George makes the decision that he makes. And we're still in this holding pattern where we don't really know what the Lakers are willing to put on the table in a Kawhi trade. Um, I do ultimately think they will get that deal done. And if and when they do... I don't think that this Paul George thing um, should really be a stain on their record because if the assets that they might have used in the Paul George trade last year turn out to be the assets they used to get Kawhi and by extension get LeBron, I still think that's a huge win. And I think that means in the end that they were probably right to sit on those assets and not jump into a PG trade at the first opportunity. So, I mean, we'll see how it shakes out, obviously, and, and this could still end with them getting none of the three guys that they were targeting going into this offseason. I think that's still on the table. But I think there's just a little bit too much momentum in that direction from LeBron's camp, from Kawhi's camp, for it not to get done. I think, you know, the only remaining question right now is how much are they willing to put on the table to get Kawhi? How desperate are they to, you know, how much do they think that that is going to factor into LeBron's decision, right? Like, that's ultimately what's going to force their hand at the end of the day. Um, Quickly, before we move on to... Uh, LeBron watch um, do you if you're Sam Presti are you stretching Carmelo Anthony or are you stretching Carmelo Anthony <laughs> you could they could save like 99 million dollars yeah. 
as if they didn't already have incentive to get rid of Melo. Also, they, you, you know what I'd like? To, whether they stretch him or if they don't stretch him, then I'd like uh, Billy Donovan and like Sam Presti, I'm sure, would have his back. I'd like them to just kind of put their foot down and say, you know what, I don't really care that Melo's making jokes in the media about the fact that he's not coming off the bench. Guess what? You're coming off the bench, man. Because yeah, like, you've got no leverage in this situation. No. We know that... We're, like, If you're a smart basketball mind, you know that the Thunder are better without Carmelo Anthony. Uh, there's no, like last year there were still the questions about well if he's uh, Olympic mellow and if he kind of accepts this role as like um, a stretch four on offense and like a spot up guy who can then um, carry bench units when Russ and PG aren't in then it could work and it could be great well guess what Mello's not going to be that guy what if Mello wears a hoodie <laughs> during the game <laughs> that's, that's about the only way I would accept Mello that might help of, him drop some weight um, <laughs> but no, yeah like, like I'll say a few things to that. Like, first of all, um, I don't think they should stretch him because if they do, then he's on their books for the next three years instead of just the next one. And I feel like they would probably rather just play out this year, pay whatever they have to in luxury tax. It's going to be like $100 in luxury tax. I mean, for a first round credit to Clay Bennett for learning from his mistakes. Like, I know, you know, I I sent out that that very facetious tweet last night and, like, You know, on the one hand, it reflects poorly on their unwillingness to pay the tax back when they could have just, you know, re-signed James Harden and and kept a championship-level team together. On the other hand, I feel like it does speak to them realizing, you know, they're playing a small market. These opportunities don't come around very often. And when they do, you have to do whatever it takes to keep elite-level talent. Um, They didn't do it the first time around. They're doing it this time, and I think that's a credit to them. Now, as far as them being better without Melo, I don't think that's necessarily true. I just think they're better with Melo playing in a bench role, playing 15 to 20 minutes off of the bench, um, captaining those second units, and, you know, being an offensive fulcrum against other benches. And, you know, as far as him playing with the starters, I think he can still play with those guys. I just think he was overextended last year. Um, He's obviously a liability at the defensive end. He is going to get played off the floor in the playoffs. And the sooner they realize that, the better. Like, he can still be a useful player for them. They just have to understand, him and the Thunder, have to understand his limitations and know what he can do for them. Here's the thing, though. And I agree with everything you're saying, but it's like, at what point do we just accept Carmelo Anthony is never going to accept those limitations? Seriously, because last year was the year that he should have accepted those limitations. You're playing with the reigning MVP at the time. You're playing with Paul George. Um, you're in the latter stages of your career. Like, if if he's not aware of his limitations at that point and willing to accept um, a different kind of role, he's not. I, I don't see why he'd be willing to do it this year. So that's why I'm saying, like, Billy Donovan, the only reason he would maybe not do it is if he feels, like, threatened by the fact that the Thunder are paying Melo so much money, so it's like, I don't have leverage as a coach. But again, Sam Presti's a smart basketball man. Like, you, I can't see him forcing Billy Donovan to do whatever Carmelo wants. Like, they just want to win. So... You, just put your foot down with Carmelo and be like, look, man, this is the way it's going to be. You're only here for one more year anyway. Uh-huh. Like, I don't understand what leverage Melo has over this team. I think the only thing is, um, who are you going to replace Melo with? It's not like the Thunder are like, have all these stretch forwards out there that can open the floor. Because, look, if you're going to play Roberson in the starting lineup, you're going to play Steven Adams. And really, Westbrook's not that good of a shooter. You need another person to actually stretch the floor a little bit, at, at least in theory. Carmelo stretches the floor because Patrick Patterson doesn't stretch the floor. Jeremy Grant doesn't stretch the floor. And while those guys might do – I don't know about Patterson, but Grant might be better on the whole with with uh, 
what the you know in terms of just as a player what he does. But I mean, like, still Melo technically fits a little bit better, but it's gonna be an ugly situation. And quite honestly, I think they either trade him into caps like open cap room and dump a pick, uh, or they just you know bite the bullet and and uh, and and wave him basically because like or not wave him but stretch him because like it's it's just so expensive. They could save like somewhere between ninety to hundred million. Um, if they do that, and it just makes way too much sense. Um, moving on, LeBron, LeBron watch. Uh, you know, he finished up vacation. There was that video that emerged where he was hyping himself up, you know, screaming, ah, ah, and then he jumps off a cliff, and it turns out that cliff was like 17 feet, which is just hilarious. It's not not a very big, you know, cliff jump. I don't want to judge LeBron, but that's, that, come on, LeBron, you jumped over John Lucas in the middle of a game. Um, you, we went from that the day after LeBron is, you know, in a plane. People are tracking the plane, and all of a sudden he's in L.A. Um, he's taken a phone call with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and his agent has, um, you know, taken an in-person meeting with the Sixers. There's no word yet on the Lakers, but um, based on how day one played out, how do you think LeBron um, – how do you think Le- that changes what LeBron is going to decide to do? I mean, I, I don't think it changes it that much. I think I think if LeBron was serious about the Lakers being at the top of his list, um, I don't think it was co- uh, completely dependent on them landing other stars. I really don't. Like, I feel like if L.A. was where he wanted to be, it was more than just basketball going into that decision, and none of those things will change based on whether they land Kawhi or not. Um, I do think, though, you know, like the PG thing and maybe the Lakers being out of that running – and the Sixers still very much being in the Kawhi picture, I think that ups the Sixers' chances. So I think the only thing that might have happened over the last 24 hours is Philly is a little more of a serious threat. But I still think if LeBron had his heart set on L.A. for a number of reasons, I, I don't think that was very affected by Paul George not going there. I think that's probably true. And, you know, even if they, for whatever reason, don't get Kawhi this summer or don't land another premier free agent this summer— they can roll over that cap space of 2019 when Jimmy Butler is going to be a free agent. Clay Thompson is going to be a free agent. Kevin Durant could be a free agent again. Like There are always going to be options, and that team is always going to be a destination, especially with LeBron there. So, you know, on the one hand, I understand he's not young. Uh, his prime probably isn't going to land, you know, last that much longer. Um, there is sort of an urgency there where like his window to win titles isn't going to be open that much longer. Um, so, you know, maybe he feels like it, it has to be right now, but, you know, given the fact that he hasn't been, you know, uh, showing any signs of relinquishing his title as the best player in the league, I feel like he probably does have at least a year to see how that situation plays out, see what the Lakers can do with that cap space next summer. Um, you know, so ultimately, I agree. If he has his heart set on uh, on L.A., then I don't think any of this should necessarily change that. But I have always thought that the Sixers would be a great situation for him, even if the basketball fit is imperfect. Um, I mean, people said the basketball fit was imperfect in Houston, and that turned out okay. So They also think, said it was imperfect when he when he and Wade joined forces in Miami. Like, right, and it, and it was. It and was he's literally imp- coming from the most dysfunctional uh, sorting <laughs> right. cast ever. Right. Exactly. Like, like, come on, man. You know, the fit is imperfect, but there's enough talent there where it just doesn't matter. So, Bro, he was uh, passing to Jordan Clarkson in the finals. Geez. In the finals. <laughs> Actually, Jordan Clarkson wasn't passing to him yeah. in the finals. I mean, that's the upshot here, right? It's like literally anywhere he decides to go, it, it's going to be a better situation. Situation than where he was last year and he still went to the finals last year and was like very close to stealing a game on the road in the finals that might have changed the complexion of that series at least a little bit um 
you know, what this guy has proven capable of with any supporting cast whatsoever, I think should make him feel like wherever he goes, it's going to be okay. They're going to be a contender. They're always going to be able to add to whatever core is in place. And, you know, he, he is in complete control of the situation. I will say that I think, um, like, from a pure basketball perspective, if it really was just he just wants to win, I think the Sixers are the better option, even if the Lakers land Kawhi and Boogie. I'll say that, like, just being in the East, avoiding Golden State and still Houston, with Embiid and Simmons, and if they're not giving up anything to go get, like, a Kawhi, you just add LeBron to that team, they're as sure a bet to make the finals as there is in the league, basically. Mm-hmm. Um. If you're, I would just say, like, if you're Philly, um, you probably want an actual president slash uh, GM in place right now. I, I know, like, Brett Brown is a nice coach and everything, but, like, it's just, it's not a ideal situation to meet with LeBron at this current time. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that's realistically where he can do best on the basketball court, but... Uh, I hate to say this again, but LeBron has two mansions in L.A. And, like, seriously, it's like a quality of life decision for him at this point. Um, you know, obviously the basketball part matters. But, like, if you're if LeBron's with the Lakers, they're going to attract more talent, period, right? Um, they couldn't attract Paul George, but this doesn't mean, like, they can't attract other guys. Um, and, you know, if LeBron goes there, he sets up shop. He's taking them to the playoffs. They make a deep playoff run, whatever, which I'm sure they will do. Like, you know what's what what's really what's really the problem there, right? I think he pro- if he wants to go to Lakers, I think yeah. I mean, he can either pull Kawhi there now, he can get Kawhi there later. Doesn't quite matter. Some star will become available, especially if you look at the ones that are available in free agency in twenty nineteen. Um, you know, LeBron should just go to the Lakers and just end this, basically. Like just end this, end the speculation. And I really, still think that's what ends up happening. Yeah, I think yeah, so too. Put the like, also put the Cavaliers fans out of their misery. Like just just, <laughs> just let them watch Kevin Love play with. Colin Sexton for two years. Um, moving on, Houston. Uh, apparently, they have not given up their dogged pursuit of LeBron, even though it's pretty much impossible. Even though uh, their only move was basically to sign a trade for him, and that deadline passed when he, you know, uh, cho- chose to uh, decline his player option. But um, they did manage to re-sign Chris Paul, uh, four years, one hundred and forty million dollars. One sixty. One sixty. That's. It's a lot of money. It's yeah. a lot of money for Chris Paul, um, who, you know, obviously is, is that quality of player, but his health has not quite been there um, consistently over the last, you know, three four years now, uh, and, you know, it's just they're gonna be they're gonna be paying him like forty four million dollars in twenty twenty two, which is not ideal, but they went all in basically when they got Chris Paul in the first place, and this is part of the agreement when they traded for Chris Paul. Um, and I don't know. I mean, they're, they're going to be a championship contending team for at least two, three years. Yeah, I think they will be. And I think, you know, I think they had to bring Chris Paul back. Um, they're still going to be good. And I think we've talked so many times about how they were kind of the perfect team for the modern era and this and that. But I do think, you know, as great as it was that they brought Paul back, I do think losing Trevor Ariza was a big blow for them. And it takes away some of that defensive versatility. I know they still have P.J. Tucker and... Is Bamute a free agent? Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah, he's a free agent as well. So they could lose him. But even if they bring him back, like Ariza was a big part of that. And he was part of the multiple options they could throw at players and these switchable defenders. So even though I think bringing in, keeping Chris Paul is obviously a huge win and it'll keep like a certain level of contention open. We talked about how small the margin for error is when you're going up against the Warriors. And we saw it this year. Like the Rockets played basically as great as you could. And yeah, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, maybe they still win. 
But you can look at it the other way. It's like the Rockets played their hearts out, and in the end, they still lost. Like, they did almost everything right in that series other than Chris Paul getting hurt, and they still lost. Um, so when the margin for error is that small, and then you take a Trevor Reza out of it, to me, they got further away yesterday. They re-signed Chris Paul, but they took a step back in terms of their ultimate goal. Mm. which And it, it really happened over like a two-day span, right? LeBron opts, uh, opts out or doesn't you know pick up that option. So they're sign-and-trade options out the window. That obviously would have taken them to another stratosphere. So right. LeBron options out. And then, yeah, you keep Chris Paul, but you lose one of your like very important role players. So the Rockets, to me, is, is kind of a big loss over the last 48 hours. I really do wonder like how far apart were they? they and Ariza in negotiations that he would go and take a one-year deal a guy his what is he 33 34 like he's been around forever he's man. not a spring chicken right like he, like, he was there when, when Kobe won his last title yeah like, it's I don't know that that was probably the deal that made the least sense to me because there were some deals we saw last night that maybe didn't make a ton of sense for the team there were some deals that didn't make a ton of sense for the player that was a deal where I felt like it didn't make sense for either side because you know, you know, the Suns, I guess they just wanted to roll over that cap space to 2019, but they have a need at point guard and maybe a they just, huge need. A at huge point need. Guard. And maybe they just don't like the point guard market and would prefer in 2019 to have, you know, max cap space where they can go after Kyrie or Kemba. But right now they have Brandon Knight. No, I know. Coming off of major injury and a French point guard they drafted in the second round. No, I know. I, I mean, look, I can see it from the side of we don't like this point guard market, it's not very good. Um, we would rather have the cap space in 2019 when Kyrie and Kemba are going to be available. But why not use that one-year deal on a point guard then? Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand the reason thing from either side, to be honest. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe they they're like we're going to bring this veteran in, and he is going to um, kind of take Josh Jackson under his wing and bring a professionalism to the organization that's going to be important down the road. But um, this was the one where I'm like, okay, it doesn't really make sense for the Suns. It doesn't really make sense for Ariza to take a one-year deal. So what were the Rockets offering him that he went and took that deal? Like, it, like for them to lose him, I feel like, you know, again, like you said, it was a pretty crushing blow uh, for, you know, their switchable defense. Like, he was a really important part of that. Uh, to let him go for one year? I'll say this much about the Rockets. Like, they have shown consistently during Daryl Morey's tenure that they've they're able to bring in supporting players. They're really good at finding guys on the cheap. Like Ariza is a perfect example of that, right? They signed him after um, Chandler Parsons left. And we were all wondering like, wow, Parsons is such a big piece for them. He's going to be big for the Mavericks or whatever. And they bring in Ariza and, and arguably they were just the same, if not better. I mean, it certainly helps that they've avoided having to pay Chandler Parsons in the years thereafter. Um, and, you know, the final memory, I mean, I'm not saying Ariza was not good for the Rockets. He was, but the last three games he played for the Rockets, he shot 1 of 6, 6 of 18, and then 0 of 12 in that last game where they were eliminated in Game 7. Um, 0 of 9 from deep in that game, which is just crazy. And he just kept taking shots uh, as part of that, you know, ridiculous 27 straight misses for the Rockets. And I'm not saying that, you know, it necessarily informs their um, decision, but I think if you're a Rockets fan, like, you can probably trust that Daryl Moore will find somebody um, on the cheap, basically, to fill the supporting cast. Because he's done a really good job of that over the years. He just hasn't had, you know, the best stars um, to the, work with. But the thing about that is th the best way for them to fill that void was going to be, like, was going to come internally, right? Because they don't have cap space to work with. They have, like, the taxpayers mid-level, basically. Yeah. Um, 
but if they if they wanted somebody of Ariza's caliber, I feel like they kind of had to bring him back. Somebody that they already had, you know, his bird gripes uh, and, and the cap concerns weren't going to be an issue. Like, who are they going to find on the open market that's going to take the, the taxpayers mid-level, that's going to give them the same kind of production? Yeah, and the, I mean, the like, is, if you took Avery Bradley, that's not that bad. I mean, he's probably better against the Warriors. He defends Steph and Clay much better than Ariza does. He's smaller. He can't defend KD. I was going to say, he can't, like... I don't know how many multiple positions Avery Bradley can guard. He's kind of undersized. Which is but certain. he's he's a really good dog defender against... Great perimeter defender. Like, he's had a lot of success when he was with the Celtics guarding... Against, against the Warriors the, specifically, The Splash yeah. Brothers, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I guess the thing to consider, too, is maybe from a Reese's perspective, it was like, one year, $15 million with Phoenix is one thing. Maybe if, like, that exact offer was on the table from Houston, he doesn't take it because he sees it as, like, he should be worth more to the Rockets, right? So maybe the Rockets just didn't get to a certain number with him. And at that point, he was just going to test the open market. But for me, it's the timing of it. Like if Trevor Ariza signs a one-year $15 million deal with Phoenix later this week, when some of the dust has settled around the league, it makes a little more sense. But for him to take that deal an hour into free agency or not even an hour into free agency, I get like were him and his agent really that convinced he would not find a better deal out there? Yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't know... I don't know whether that was the kind of thing where the Suns were like, you know, we'll we'll make you hold down the road, or like obviously they they were doing their due diligence, right, and like had at least a sense of what his market was going to be. Um, I think it's entirely possible that in terms of annual value, he wasn't going to find that on the open market, but I feel like he could have recouped that in terms of what he might have been able to make over a multi-year deal, right? Like one year, like fifteen million in guaranteed money, he a hundred percent could have made way more than that, um, at least over the life of a two- or three-year deal um, that, that he probably would have gotten on the open market. Well, I mean, he could get that next summer, though. Like, there's a lot more teams with cap space next summer, and he's still going to have the same case. A veteran 3-and-D wing that can be a playoff contributor, like, he's probably going to at least get the mid-level next season, I think. Um, but, I mean, it's an interesting question with the Suns because, like, man, I mean, we, we talked about earlier, they don't have any point guards. Um, I personally thought they would go after a guy like Fred Van Vliet or maybe even Marcus Smart two restricted free agents um, with Van Vliet. They could have backloaded that deal to sort of steal him away from Toronto. Uh, with Smart, it would have been a little bit more difficult, but Boston also has bigger designs as well, so they could have, you know, signed him to an offer sheet. But I, I guess they kind of decided they wanted to go into 2019 with that cap space instead, which is cool, I guess. It's a strange decision, but, um, you know, the Suns' major priority right now is to extend Devin Booker, who is... Um, their franchise player, along with number one pick DeAndre Ayton. However, a report um, from Shams uh, says that, well, they, he wasn't very happy that they waived his best friend, Tyler Eulis. Um I mean, I don't know. If you're the I, Suns, probably don't piss off Devin Booker at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, let him but know I also thought it was ridiculous earlier in the season when it came out that, like, Devin Booker was now involved in like all major look Devin Booker is a really 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 good young player but I don't think Devin Booker is of the caliber where you should be like tethering everything about your franchise to this guy yeah. it's like we need him in on every meeting and every decision like make sure he's happy it's like look a the decision to wave uh, Tyler Eulis was a little confusing to begin with so I understand why he might have gripes about that but at the end of the day it's Tyler Eulis like yeah he's your friend but if like no, but this is not. Yeah, gonna he's change your friend, anything. but he's five foot six. And yeah, he's honestly, not. He shot twenty nine. No, he's not last changing year. If you're LeBron, like you know, you you can bring Mike Miller along wherever you go. Right. You can bring yeah. James Jones wherever yeah. you go. Like 
you have afforded yourself that luxury. You can get Tristan Thompson paid. Just you know what I mean? Sure. But like, Devin Booker's been in the league three years. Yeah. He has scored a lot of points, and aside from that, accomplished nothing. Yeah. So how dare you? You scored seventy points on a loss. <laughs> no, but for real, you. like what to me, this is kind of one of those non stories. Like, yeah, he probably is upset that they got rid of his friend without telling him, I guess, yeah. sure. But what's he really going to change? Is he really going to say no to, like, if they hand him the maximum possible extension? No way he's going to turn down that money. And if the Suns are really that enamored with him, as I'm sure they are, that they were going to give him that deal to begin with, I don't think they're now going to be like, well, let's let's slow down here. We might not want to pay you if you're that upset over Ty- Tyler Eulis. Like, yeah, I yeah. think in the end, this is like a non story, basically. That's fair. Um, moving on, the Dallas Mavericks, they signed DeAndre Jordan to what is essentially his player option that he declined <laughs> with the, the Clippers after they couldn't get a sign-and-trade. Um, you know, I mean, that worked out great for the Mavs, right? They give up nothing. Yeah. They get him at the exact same price point. Um, no long-term money. Yeah. Which is weird. Like, why would he take a one-year deal after all that? Is that not surprising to you guys? I just think no one else is offering that money. You know, like I think everybody is trying to look at that 2019 class of free agents, right? Which, like, you know, okay, there's Kyrie, there's like Jimmy Butler, there is um, Clay Thompson, there's Kawhi, but like, uh, I don't know how many of those guys are even going to actually hit, yeah. like, truly hit the market. Uh, and unless, be available. Well, unless Clay is a guy did. who seems like he might not, right? Um, and if Kawhi ends up, Butler, you know, I think will. I don't know, man. If the yeah. if the T Wolves give him that. That extension that they're talking about, like, I I know there's reasons why you wouldn't want to stay with the Timberwolves based on the way they're running that organization, but, like, Jimmy Butler was a late bloomer, right? People forget he's not exactly a spring chicken, and he's got a lot of miles on that body because of Tom oh, yeah. Thibodeau, so if, if that money's there, he might just take it. Yeah. True. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I, I actually really like this deal just because I like the idea of the Mavericks giving Dirk one last send-off and trying to make the playoffs... Um, you know whether they're successful or not, I'm not quite sure. But I know I watched uh, like a surprising amount of Mavericks basketball this past season, and like a lot of games were very competitive. You know, Rick Carlisle was finding some crazy way to get guys like Dorian Finney-Smith um, to compete with teams with more talent. But then in the fourth quarter, it's almost like he had a mandate to basically self-sabotage and lose games. And obviously that worked out because they eventually were able to get enough lottery balls and flip those into uh, Doncic. But the idea that like you know, they can make one last playoff push. It could be Doncic's first playoff run. It could be a magical moment for Dirk. Maybe he hits a game winner against some opponent and they win one game. Like, it's it's not the worst idea to me. And, and just, I don't know, just the fan in me kind of likes that um, storyline for the Mavericks. Because, like, what else are they really going to do? If they tank again, like, who knows? Like, is that really going to be worth anything? They don't have their pick next year anyway. So, you know, why not? Go for it. Yeah, Go. no. DeAndre's I, a nice fit. For sure, I like I like the move for Dallas. I mean, like you said, it'll make them a little more competitive this year. I think if things break right and the way we know Rick Carlisle, Rick Carlisle can maximize his team's talent, like mm-hmm. this could be a team that hangs in the playoff race all year, and that would be great. It'd be fun for Dirk's last year if Doncic hits the way we think he will. Dennis Smith Jr. in, in his second season. Like, there's things to be excited yeah. about with Dallas, and the thing I love about it is that they did that without compromising their... You know what I mean? It's not like they're selling future assets for the farm to chase like a 44 win seven seed right now mm-hmm. they can they're gonna try to be competitive or like semi-competitive this coming season with a nice blend of youngsters and veterans and then still be able to kind of like continue this youth movement next right. year it's not at all impeding that and like you mentioned without the pick next year there's no incentive to tank so just be as competitive as you can be while letting the young guys grow and i think this roster is perfectly suited for that i just think i don't think it's a bad fit and obviously 
you know, we know that, that, that the Mavs have had a dalliance with DeAndre Jordan in the past, and we'll see if their verbal agreement sticks this time. But um, I feel like there were better options that they probably could have gone after if they really wanted to fill that void at center. And I think DeAndre is a, a pretty good player at this point in his career, but I don't think he's going to be the difference between that team being in the lottery and making the playoffs. And I also think they could have made more of like a forward-thinking move where there were younger guys on the market who would have fit just as well and who could have given them a little bit more long-term upside, who they could have got for cheaper and for more term. You know, like a guy like Derek Favors, a guy like Julius Randle, like bring one of those guys in and kind of help them, you know, absorb them into your culture uh, and make them more of a long-term piece. Whereas like DeAndre, what are you really doing with him for one year? Are you going to bring him back after that year? Like, is it just a stopgap? I just don't really see what the point of it is, aside from the fact that it was like he was the one that got away a few years ago and now they get to have him. Um, like, what is that really doing for them at the end of the day? I don't know. They'll, they'll win 35 games this year instead of 31? No, but I mean, I come think on. they could win 38 or 39, all right? Let's, they, could, okay. they could conceivably make a bit of a push. I don't know. It feels weird. Like, they're not making the playoffs. Like, who's, fa- who's I, falling man, out of the playoffs in the West that they're replacing? San Antonio, think, maybe, but like, yeah, San Antonio. Yeah. But like, there are other. There, there's Denver who's knocking on the door. Like sure. there are other teams ahead of them in the pecking order. Where like I don't think they're the team that's going to leapfrog the, the, the Lakers. I mean, I do think they can hang, man. I really like if Carlisle has made um, chicken salad out of chicken turds before. All right, and I would not put it past them to do it again. Again, I'm not saying this team's going to win like 50 games and be in the hunt in May, but I don't think it's that unreasonable to think this team can at least hang in the race until like March, April. Yeah. It would be a cool story, too, because everyone would be rooting for that team. You know, yeah. like, not only would you have Doncic's first NBA season, which I'm sure people are excited about, but also just, like, Dirk's farewell tour. Like, give it a give it a purpose, you know? Like, after wasting pretty much every single year of Dirk's career after winning the title by right. playing Monta Ellis and Wes Matthews against him, like, just give him a, give him an actual playoff run, and, and we'll, let's, let's see what happens. I mean, I just, obviously he's not going to go anywhere, but right. it, it'd be nice as a story. I just think they could have made way better use of that cap space, and it's like, they have the space... DeAndre's not going anywhere. I mean, maybe if they offer another center a deal, they alienate him and then he's off their radar. But I just don't think there's enough, like that's a big enough risk or a big enough loss at the end of the day to justify not going after Clint Capella. You have that space. Like why not make an offer and dare the Rockets to match, you know? Because then you're looking at a guy who is young, who fits your timeline, who you could have for four or five years. And, you know, as opposed to basically just being like, all right, we'll go with DeAndre for this year and we'll see what happens next year. Like, um, I feel like for a team like Dallas, this summer is a pretty good opportunity to like, you have space, like get into the market, like make things uncomfortable for Houston, like add a long-term piece. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like that for, for a team that has typically been forward thinking in the past, it seemed just like a little bit short term to me and not not necessarily worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, right now, Mark Cuban's clutching onto DeAndre Jordan the way, like, MJ's clutching onto the Larry O'Brien trophy and those finally <laughs> yeah. mine commercials, you know? <laughs> like, the way that be... Tibbs is clutching Derrick <laughs> yeah, Rose. That should be, I'm saying that should be the NBA's free agency commercial. Just re, uh, redo those finally mine, except I, I, replace, like, it's just Mark Cuban holding DeAndre Jordan. I, I did really love that series of commercials, especially for the fact that, like, the actual championship celebration this year was nothing like in those videos. Because it was like, Katie was like, ah, I won it again, cool. Of course I was going to win it again. <laughs> like, all the Warriors are like, yeah, whatever, you know, we won. Finally we- mine, Nick Young wins a title. <laughs> Seriously, Nick Young wins a title and then goes out partying and says some of the most wild stuff you've ever heard from any NBA player. 
Um, anyway, we're going to take a quick break right here. On the other side, we're going to come back, um, look at some of the best available remaining free agents, uh, and grade basically the worst and the best deals from day one. Welcome back to the second half of the podcast. Um, again, please support the show. Support Pound the Rock by rating, reviewing, subscribing. Um, we're seeing good growth, uh, like I said last podcast, and we want to keep it going. So um, please support the show uh, through that. Tell a friend, you know, do whatever you got to do. But, you know, mostly if you really, really feel inclined, uh, write a nice review for us. Hit five stars and everything. Um, quickly, we're going to touch on uh, Kevin Durant, which I kind of forgot to bring up. He decided to sign a one plus one. It was a very, um, I think he's over the whole free agency thing after the giant uh, Hamptons debacle. Um, if he's over the free agency thing, why would he sign a deal where he's going to be well, back in the market in one or two years? I think he, but the thing is, he's not really making a big deal of it. He's just kind of doing that to put pressure on the Warriors. Um, you know, he takes another slight discount again, um, but that really kind of you know, informs the worries. So just like last year when he took less money, you know, to allow Iggy and uh, Livingston to resign. Now he's taking a little bit less money so that they can use the mid-level exception. And you know, if if I'm Durant, that's kind of cool because now he has a, a level of influence over the team. You know, like I'm going to take this discount, so you better spend this money, and I'm going to be on one plus one deals so that you you know need to constantly have this pressure to compete. Not that they wouldn't, because that's ridiculous. Why would you break this team up? But you know, it's not a bad move by KD. I think it's kind of good for everyone, too. I guess the Warriors probably wanted a little more long-term security for him. But other than that, I think it's good for everyone. I think it's good for KD because it just continues to give him flexibility and kind of uh, he can continue to write his own narrative. I think it's good for fans, too, like non-Warriors fans, because there's at least that, like, possibility of, like, you never... And look, if there's one thing we've learned about KD over the last couple of years, is like nobody knows anything about this guy, right? He cares what people think. He doesn't care what, pe- like, what people think. He's going to stay with the Warriors forever. He might not. Like, he might... Who knows? So the fact that there's even the chance he'll be a free agent again a year from now and definitely would be two years from now, I think we're talking about, like, a real chance he will move on again. So I think it's just good to kind of keep everyone on their toes. It definitely makes the league more interesting For sure. as a whole, right? Um, and, you know, if you're a Knicks fan... Like, what's to stop you from dreaming on, on the summer of 2019, right? I think like, James Dolan's still alive. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's still in control of the team. There was a report There was a report last week that he might have been considering relinquishing his, his stake um, in MSG. It was the happiest Knicks fans got on Twitter for pretty yeah. much since that J.R. Smith six-man year. I would like to clarify that it's not unfortunate that James Dolan's still alive, just unfortunate that he's still basically in charge of the Knicks operation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, that, cash, that's, always gonna, that's always going to be a handicap <laughs> in the future. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, just for the league as a whole, it's definitely more exciting and more interesting that Durant could enter the market again next year when, frankly, the entire landscape could shift dramatically again. Um, And I think we see that, you know, obviously the Warriors have been this juggernaut for the last four years, but the landscape of the league around the Warriors has changed a lot in the last couple of summers. And I think that is what makes for a healthy product at the end of the day, right? Is change, improbability, um, things we don't see coming, and just a general dynamism that I think uh, keeps everybody invested. So... I think ultimately for everybody, you know, potentially outside of Warriors fans, um, it's going to be a good thing. 
Okay, uh, let's move on and talk about the best of the rest. Um, there's still a lot of restricted free agents out there. Not a lot of cap room. It's not looking good for a lot of them. They probably have to take qualifying offers. Um, Wolfon, I'll start with you. Out of this list, uh, who are you trying to target in terms of who's the best um, remaining, basically, free agent uh, deal out there? Um, I mean, Capella, I feel like, is... I, I sort of expect him to just wind up back with the Rockets, but he is reportedly meeting with the Lakers, who could make things pretty interesting if he's the guy they decide to go after instead of Boogie, um, rather than you know sign a guy a, a question mark basically to a short term deal that may or may not work out. Um, they have an opportunity to maybe lock in a center of the future. How much are the Rockets willing to pay to mm-hmm. keep him under contract? Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that shakes out. And I'm also just kind of curious to see in general, how much does Dallas getting DeAndre sort of deaden the market for centers around the league? Um, because that was just basically an easy destination to pencil in for any free agent big man, uh, a team that was going to be interested in an available big and that was maybe going to drive up their price tag. But now uh, they're kind of set at that position. So you know, what does Favors do? What does Julius Randle do? How does that affect Capella's market? Because there aren't that many other teams out there that have space and that are looking for centers. Um, and then the other one I would throw out there is Aaron Gordon, who we can talk about the Pacers in a minute, but uh, the Pacers were reportedly thinking about throwing an offer sheet his way. And I don't know if that's in the cards anymore, but he's a guy who I feel like with the magic, they have that like really crowded front court now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure that he's a fit there how high are they willing to go to keep him like that's a guy who i feel like you could find pretty good value um he's young he's shown a lot of improvement over the last couple of years and you know you don't quite know what he could be just yet uh that might be like a pretty good buy low candidate and a guy who you know looking a few years down the road could really pay off i'm gonna go it's not like a under the radar guy but we haven't talked about him yet jj reddick man like yeah. If if a contender or like a fringe contender who needs a little bit of shooting adds a JJ Redick, even if it's on a one year deal like the Sixers did last year, like that can change a lot of things. That can take a team from like fringe or near contention to legitimate contention. We know he's that good of a shooter, so I'm gonna throw him out there as kind of like. And again, he's not gonna cost you a lot, right? Like the Sixers paid a lot for him last year, but it was on a one year deal. I wouldn't be shocked if Redick did the same thing. Yeah, um, very low key. Redick was the Sixers' second leading scorer last year, 17 points a game. Performed in the playoffs. Um, obviously, they needed a lot of shooting in that system where, you know, they played kind of a motion offense. Not a lot of pick and roll, a lot of dribble handoff action, and you needed a guy like Redick to spot. I, I think, look, the Sixers are probably going to give Redick another balloon payment, basically, if uh, they, they strike out on LeBron. But, yeah, otherwise, that's a nice player for a lot of teams. And quite honestly, like, I'm surprised that Brooklyn went so hard after Joe Harris because um, – it seemed like Redick really had a lot of interest in going there last year. Redick is also kind of a culture builder, and he's got an apartment in Brooklyn. Listen, that's that's my that's my that's my space on You're this the real podcast. Estate guy, I'm the real estate guy, but seriously, Redick apparently really loves that uh, that Brooklyn's you know studio apartment he's got over there. It's probably bigger than a studio, but you know he probably wants to live there. And I'm a little bit surprised that Brooklyn uh, made that move. Yeah, I look at that list, and I agree with you. Gordon and Capella are probably two of the best ones out there. I still think Boogie could be a nice little piece. I think if he does sign with the Pelicans on a one-plus-one, that actually does help him a lot because um, I think the the Pelicans are already – they have a bit of an identity after that playoff run of what they want to do. And obviously, that didn't quite include Boogie. 
but they can still be successful throughout most of the season. And if Boogie takes a long time to recover, usually the Achilles thing is about a year, maybe even a little bit more because he's so big. He's aiming for training camp, but who knows? I mean, I, I doubt he's going to be ready for training camp. And nevertheless, if you get Boogie there basically as a playoff addition and, you know, they basically do the same thing they did last year, but Boogie's there and Boogie understands his role at that point. Obviously, if he's on a one plus one, he really needs to um, have a good performance to earn a big deal in free agency. So he's going to be on his best behavior in a contract year. You know, that's not bad. That's not bad. The Pelicans could be a bit scary. Like, I don't think they're going to get LeBron like you mentioned in the last podcast. But, um, you know, Boogie is... Is is nice. I mean, like, damn, if Boogie's coming off the bench for you, that's that's terrifying. Yeah, I don't think Boogie's coming off the bench for anybody. Okay, but I mean, when he's healthy, though, right? Yeah. Like, he's not going to immediately go to the starting line. If he's not going to try to shake things up, I'm I, I'm just assuming if Boogie's on his best behavior, that's a really good player, and a one plus one could really uh, help the Pelicans in that front. I don't know if I would give him a one plus one, and given how little leverage he seems to have uh, and how kind of tepid the market seems to be on him. What do you mean? The Lakers might have the desk where they grab DeAndre. Or right. So, not DeAndre. I mean, I guess that's, that's what will be interesting to see. But like, I feel like if you give him a one plus one, you're basically getting the worst of both worlds, right? Because if he comes back next year and he's a disaster, obviously he's opting into that second year. That's bad for you. Um, if he comes back next year and he's great, he's going to opt out. So in that case, I feel like you either want to give him like a hard one year or a hard two years where you know you give yourself because if he's bad he's opting in anyway so i feel like you you would probably want to see if you could just get him at like a fully guaranteed two to roll the dice and be like maybe you're going to come back next year there's going to be a little bit of rust it's going to take some time but then you have him for the second year and there's a little bit of upside there or you just get him for one and say look if if you're great like Mm -hmm. you know don't don't put the decision in his hands right like Maybe maybe it's even a situation where like you give him three years, but the third year is like a team option. Um, I, I think for for teams, it's like they're the ones who are going to have the leverage in these negotiations, so they should act accordingly. I, I still think the I think you're right. If Boogie signs elsewhere, a two year hard deal or two plus one with the team option makes a lot more sense. But for the Pelicans specifically, if they give him a one plus one where the second one is a player option they would have his full bird rights because he has spent three years with the Pelicans. So they can go over the cap to re-sign him. So that's, they have a, a leg up in negotiations that way anyway. So, um, you know, I, I just think that like, basically if you're the Pelicans, you're kind of okay losing Boogie too. Like you're, you're, you know what I mean? Like you're not really committed to Boogie long-term necessarily. And if you can just get basically the, the good in Boogie, like that's pretty much the thing with Boogie, right? If you get the best of him, then he's going to be a really good player. Otherwise, you know, history says... Unfortunately, I like Boogie a lot, but unfortunately, history says that he can be very destructive. Anyway, let's move on to, um, you know, sum up day one with the best and the worst deals. Uh, You guys want to start positive or negative? I'll start negative. Let's do it. Let's let's get the haterade going. All right, what's the worst deal? You know what? Not a lot of money, barely any money exchanged hands with this deal, but I'm still going to throw it out there as maybe the worst deal because it just didn't need to happen and definitely not that early. Derrick Rose. The Timberwolves give... I'm serious, man. I'm completely serious. The Timberwolves re-signing Derrick Rose for one year and only $2.1 million is $2.1 million more than maybe anybody should be paying Derrick Rose to play NBA basketball at this stage of his career. This guy's a one of the worst five defenders in the league by far, and that might be being generous to him. Uh, he's a net negative on offense. Um, 
just like there's no reason a con- like a team who wants to do well and contend now should be employing Derrick Rose, let alone signing him and re-signing him on the first day of free agency. Like it was bad enough when they got him last year and he took some minutes away from Tyus Jones. Now they're gonna re-sign. Like just the entirety of this is ridiculous. There's no reason whatsoever the Timberwolves needed to bring back Derrick Rose and definitely not on the first day of free agency. It just boggles my mind. All you can say is Tibbs. Like. Mm. It boggles my mind, but it shouldn't because Tibbs is that clownish when it comes to his old Bulls players. There's even a report out there that Tibbs wants to has some interest in bringing back Luol Dang and Joakim Noah. That doesn't even need guys, to be a sourced report. No, like, no, no, we can all just assume that at this point in time, right? You know he's like calling Kirk Heinrich every single day, like just texting him, "You up? You up?" Every single morning, Kirk Heinrich's like, "Let leave me alone. Let me just sleep with my ten shooting sleeves and leg sleeves and everything and glasses." In retirement, um, yeah. I mean, look, it's 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 not a great decision necessarily for the Timberwolves because it kind of alienates Jones as well, Tyus Jones. Um, but I mean, and it seemed like like there were reports that he was unhappy at the end of the year. You know, he was losing oh, yeah, playoff yeah. minutes to Derrick Rose, and, and he should, like Tyus Jones. Okay, but Derrick nice Rose did young... actually play okay in the playoffs. I mean, whatever they got they got beaten five games, but Derrick Rose is okay in the playoffs. But awful who cares? In the season. You know, like what did his playing okay in the playoffs really amount to nothing, at the end of the day? Nothing, right? right? And if you're alienating, you know, a player who could be an important part of your future, mm. then you know, was it really worthwhile? Probably not. Um, yeah, but you know what? He earns an additional $14 million from Adidas because he is in the NBA again. That's right. crazy. And honestly, would anyone be that shocked if Tibbs basically did this as like a like help Derrick Rose? Goodwill. I'm serious, man. Like Tibbs with these old Bulls players doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, he obviously you know forged a strong connection with those guys there. They're all as loyal to him seemingly as he is to them. So um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I just don't think that a guy who signs a minimum deal can be considered among the worst contracts for me. And this is a really painful one for me because, you know, we talked about it uh, in our free agency preview. One of the teams I was most excited about in free agency was Indiana. And what do they go out and do? They get, they guarantee the contract of Bogdanovich, which, okay, he was an important player for them Mm -hmm. last year, but it's $10 million. And given the kind of cap climate right now, I almost feel like they could have, um, you know, basically waived him, not guaranteed his contract, and circled back to him probably later and got him for even cheaper than that if they really wanted to. And the cap space probably would have been more valuable to them than having him on the roster. And then, what do they use the cap space for? Signing Doug McDermott ah, for yes. three years and $22 million. And why? First of all, as a fully guaranteed deal... Um, you know, no opt-outs or anything, which is one of the things the Pacers had done a really good job of in the last couple of years is getting those non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed third years. This is fully locked in. And Doug McDermott is a fine player. He's a very good three-point shooter. Yeah. He could be a useful player for Indiana. It's just like, on the first day of free agency, why are you giving out that deal? Yeah. If you lose Doug McDermott because you weren't willing to jump the market and give him $7-plus million a year... What is really the downside of that? You know, like you've lost Doug McDermott. You can find that elsewhere for cheaper. You can replace that easily. Mm-hmm. The cap space is so much more valuable than what you're getting with McDermott. And especially since, you know, they, they seemingly had a chance to maybe try and poach Aaron Gordon from Orlando. That would have been nice. It would have been a great fit. And, you know, Jabari Parker is potentially out there. There are so many, you know, Even Zach Levine. So many guys who could have fit there that would have been really you know i I just think more valuable for that team than what mcdermott is going to bring and you're compromising your cap space 
to go out on the first day of free agency. Like, if they had given this deal to McDermott two months from now when it was clear they weren't going to get anybody better, fine. You know, and if they miss out on him because another team was willing to give him, like, a third year that they weren't willing to throw in, fine. Like, why on the first day of free agency are you giving him this contract? I just didn't get it at all. Uh, yeah, that doesn't make much sense, really. Another deal that didn't make much sense is the, the Milwaukee Bucks signing Ursan Ilyasova to a three-year deal. Uh, the third year is not guaranteed, so it's not that bad. But, like, what what do you need to do with Ursan Ilyasova right now? Like, first off, you had Ursan Ilyasova back when Michael Red was still there. I'm serious. In 2006-2007, Ursan Ilyasova played with Michael Red yeah. and Mo Williams. One of the most right? amazing stats to come out of uh, of yesterday was that he has played now for seven different coaches in Milwaukee. Yeah, in okay. Milwaukee alone, seven coaches. Yeah, they love him. They can't. They can't say no to Ursan Ilyasova. Yeah. Um. I mean, seriously, what are you doing? Like, what? What is that deal? That's also. This is pretty much the Bucks. They're done. This is it. Like, this is all the moves they're gonna make. Like, they're gonna let Jabari walk. And like, I. I, I don't know, man. That that's not very sexy. Like, you only have so many years to capitalize on what uh, you know what Giannis is doing before he. You know, eventually becomes a free agent, and like, really, you're gonna lock yourself into Ursan Ilyasova for even two years? This guy was available for the minimum last year. Like, if you really wanted him, go sign him then. Plus, you've already had him before. Plus, you don't even know what his real age is. Like, that's a real question too. So, like, man, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess he he does take a lot of charges, and he kind of is an inconsistent three point shooter. So, cool. But like, seriously, what's that doing for you? It's not doing anything. Um, and then quickly, just to uh, end on the show on a positive, uh, some of the best deals. I'll get it started. Um, I think the Raptors signing Fred VanVleet to a two-year, um, seventeen million dollar contract uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, not only the Raptors, you know, basically the Raptors identified VanVleet as their number one priority. He was their sixth man. He closed a lot of games for them. He's easily worth this amount of money. And the concern was that some other team would swoop in and sort of overpay for him in this limited point guard market, but. Um, two years is very nice for the Raptors. It keeps their cap room open for 2020. They also gives them full bird rights to like match any deal um, going forward. And I'm sorry, going uh, to go over the cap as much as they want to if they want to re-sign him going forward. And you know he's 24 years old. He had a really great uh, breakout year, and you know he gets to continue that in Toronto. It's it's uh, it's a perfect fit. So, Cash, uh, what deal stood out to you? Um, look, we've already talked about the big ones and kind of the big money ones. I think a low-key good deal was uh, Brooklyn swooping in and getting Ed Davis for less than $5 million. But they get him for $4.4 million on a one-year deal. Um, first of all, Portland letting him walk uh, at that rate is astounding. I don't really know what yep. the Blazers are doing with their cap management the last couple of years. Damon CJ both also tweeted out that yeah, they were unhappy. He was well-liked in Especially Portland. since like, we don't even know what's going to happen yeah. with Nurkic, right? He, like, he was well-liked in Portland. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, for Brooklyn's perspective, another example of how Sean Marks has quietly, since coming in and taking over for Billy King, quietly like rebuilt the Nets' reputation behind the scenes. Finally, like built up a lot of goodwill with agents and and players around the league. Brooklyn obviously was left in complete tatters after Billy King traded all those picks to Boston. Sean Marks started with zero, like not even zero. He started with like negative twenty, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. in in franchise building assets, and he has slowly built something impressive in Brooklyn. There's got there's some young talent there. Like he obviously knows what he's doing from an asset management standpoint. Do not be surprised if like down the line sometime soon Brooklyn uses their cap space to start bringing in stars that everyone always assumed Brooklyn could do and I think yeah. again you know Ed Davis isn't 
gonna make Brooklyn a playoff team, but it's another like indication of mm-hmm. how kind of smart and shrewd and and just of a good asset manager yeah. that um, Sean Marks is. They're He's gonna co- have their own pick this year too, which is that's true. <laughs> I know Brooklyn's coming, man, for real. Yeah, I think the important thing for them is just gonna be like not tethering themselves to like bloated contracts for these guys who are like okay. I feel like there's a chance that they kind of end up just like Miami with a bunch of pretty good players who are overpaid. Um, and like, there are guys who I like. I really like Karis LeVert. I really like Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Mm-hmm. But those guys aren't stars, and paying them like stars would be a big mistake. So I hope that, um, you know, Brooklyn is just kind of tentative about, uh, about paying big money to those guys who have, I think, pretty defined ceilings. Um, one deal that stood out to me, I think, was Aaron Baines. Uh, the Celtics getting him for two years, 11. I think it was a really nice piece of business. Yeah. He was surprisingly important for them in the playoffs. He does a lot for mm-hmm. their uh, lineup flexibility. He's a good guy to guard and bead with, oddly enough, absolutely. which is going to be important because they're going to face each other in the playoffs many years down the yeah. line. He does so much dirty work that I feel like goes underappreciated on the boards. Uh, in terms of post-defense, he's a surprisingly good switch guy. He's more nimble on his feet, I think, than you would expect. He started to shoot threes in the playoffs, which I don't think a lot of people saw coming. <laughs> yeah. um, just a really low-key, under-the-radar, important piece that they were able to lock up on the cheap. Classic Celtics, I think, just you know making smart decisions, and uh, that was a good one. Okay. All right. Well, um, that does it for day one of free agency. Obviously, LeBron is still out there, and... When LeBron makes this decision, we will be here to react to uh, whatever move he chooses. Um, you know, I'm still saying he goes to the Lakers. Cash, I think you said he's going to the Lakers as well. Yeah, I think so. Wolfon, you're nodding your head. So we're all thinking that LeBron goes to the Lakers. So um, congratulations to LeBron uh, for winning the East for many years to come with the Sixers. So, um, you know, that does it for the podcast for now. Thanks to both Cash and Wolfon. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back later this week. Uh, after LeBron makes his choice. Thank you.